0: So tonight's reading is from Second, Ch- Second Samuel chapter nine, and it's the whole of chapter nine, so that's verses one through 13. All right, Second Samuel chapter nine. And David said, "Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake?" Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, "Are you Zeba?" And he said, "I am your servant." And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir the son of Amiel at Lodabar. that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Then the king called Zeba Saul's servant and said to him, all that belong to Saul and, all to, and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And Ziba, uh, now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So
1: moves can tend to be the worst. Uh, In my experience, they can tend to be uh, some of the hardest things that a, a person may go through. When I was 14 years old, uh, my family, obviously myself included, we moved from Southern California to Spokane, Washington. Now, uh, Growing up in California, for the most part, it was great. Uh, I had a whole group of friends that really starting from kindergarten all the way through eighth grade, we were in pretty much every single class together. So we knew each other's backstory. We'd been friends for most of our lives growing up. I had a whole neighborhood crew of uh, these different guys, and we hung out every single weekend. And we were always playing either sports together or getting into trouble together and just loved it. So, when I heard that we're going to move to Spokane, Washington, uh, the biggest thing you could imagine that a 14-year-old boy was probably concerned about was essentially, am I going to be able to have friends? Is there going to be a place for me to belong? Now, when I was 14, and there's a picture I'm going to show you in just a second, but don't put it up yet. When I was 14, uh, in my strap and glory, I was 5'4", about 103 pounds. Uh, and that summer, uh, I never played football in my entire life, but I was so desperate to be able to meet people my own age and make friends before school started, I went out for the football team. Now, again, 5'4", about 103 pounds, you don't think that would be the ideal kind of football player. And if you're doubting, I have a picture to show you. Can you pull that up, Wes? 5'4", <laughs> 103 stud muffin right there. <laughs> thank you, that's all I needed to see. (laughs) One of my coaches, you know, at the very end of the season, when they're supposed to, like, encourage everybody and talk about, you know, oh, you made this great play and this great play, one of my coaches legitimately got up and goes, you know, Justin, he was pretty much a hockey puck, just flying around and getting hit left and right. So, I wanted a place to belong, and I kind of started making some friends with the guys on the football team, uh, but I had one goal in mind. That first day of school, no matter what, I needed to have somebody to be able to sit and eat lunch with. Uh, That was my biggest thing. I didn't want that awkwardness of not having anybody to hang out with on my first day of school at lunch. First period came and went, I didn't get anybody to sit with. Second period came and went, nobody to sit with. Third period, I desperately tried to strike up conversation with the people around me, but it didn't go well, and I didn't have anybody to sit with. So I can distinctly remember that first day of school, walking to the cafeteria with my head down. I went and I bought my food, and I was hoping maybe somebody on the football team would see me and reach out, and nobody did. So not knowing what else to do and feeling so socially awkward and feeling like I didn't have a place to belong— I went to the boys' locker room, and on the first day of my ninth grade, I ate my lunch by myself uh, in the locker room, hoping nobody would, by chance, walk in there. Knowing that day two was coming, and I was potentially going to experience the same thing, I went through the same process. I prayed, and I hoped, and I thought, I'm going to talk to people, and surely I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to have a table to sit at by by the time lunch comes around. But much like day one, the events unfolded, and I tried to talk with people, but it just wasn't going my way. And I was doing the walk of shame, as I'm describing it, to the cafeteria, and I didn't have anybody to sit with. And I went through the line and I paid for my food, and I'm getting ready to head to the locker room again uh, when a guy on the football team called out to me. He said, Hey, Justin, come sit with us today. Now, again, I'm 5'4", about 103, by, you know, I'm the new kid, so I don't really know many friends and whatnot. The guy that called out to me was, if you will, almost the exact opposite. You know, as a freshman in high school, he's probably already 6'1", he's tall, he's incredibly athletic, literally he was the quarterback uh, of our football team. Now, every teen movie I've ever watched on TV ever tells me he's actually supposed to be really mean to a guy like me, but he wasn't. He was actually really, really kind. His name was Richard King. He said, hey, will you come sit down, and will you uh, eat lunch with me and my friends? And for about that first month of the school year, I sat with him, and I ate lunch with him, and eventually I did make my own friends, and he was always a buddy of mine, but we developed different groups. But needless to say, his kindness is something I'll always remember. This is a side note, because I knew I was going to use him as an illustration. I actually Facebook messaged him today, told him that story, and said, hey, thanks for being kind to uh, the short guy that struggled with football uh, many years ago. Have you ever felt like that in your life? When you look back and reflect, maybe at school. and, And I think that is something that, you know, is that youth will experience and youth will struggle, but I do not by any stretch of the imagination believe that is unique to children. The first day at a new job, maybe not even the first day, maybe the fifth year you're looking around and you realize you do not have friends, you do not belong. Maybe it's in uh, your own marriage, like who is the person that I've been married to for, for 10 years now? Why do I feel like I'm struggling so much? You see, I think the overarching message of Scripture, it describes that we all have this struggle. We all have this loneliness that we experience day in and day out. We have this search to belong that ultimately can only be satisfied by God Himself. And so, for those of us here this evening, exiles and and lonely strugglers that we are, I believe the message that we get from 2 Samuel chapter 9, the message that God himself wants you to hear this evening is this, you are welcome at his table. You are welcome at his table. And so, we're going to look at three points this evening, and I may have not changed the uh, the first point. If you guys are taking notes, go ahead and uh, change that to the story of the king. Main mean, point two, the call of the king and the invitation of the king. The story of the king, the call of the king, and the invitation of the king. Those are going to be the, the three points this evening. So this first point, the story of the king. Here's what we need to know. The king in this story, his name is David. He is intimately acquainted with loneliness. He knows loneliness like the back of his hand. You see, although at the time uh, of 2 Samuel being written, David was the king, uh, if we know David's backstory, we know that he was not born into royalty. Uh, Very early on, the the king at the time, his name was Saul. He had made some mistakes, and so God went to Saul, and he said, Saul, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. And God goes to David and said, David, one day you will be king, but this is going to be a, a process. This is going to be an unfolding event that's going to take some time to come. So, very early in David's life, he ends up becoming a part of Saul's court. If you will, he becomes a rising star in Saul's court, uh, everybody's looking at David, and they're seeing, "Wow, David is a mighty warrior." Uh, all of the ladies are saying, "Man, David can sing like Justin Timberlake," and they are they're loving the man named David. In fact, we see that there's this song that ends up getting written about David and Saul, and uh, it's praising Saul. Saul, look at you! You're such a great warrior. You've killed your hundreds, David. You've killed your thousands. And we see this relationship between these two, the, the rising star in Saul's court uh, and Saul himself. Saul begins to become bitter. He begins to become jealous towards David. And before you know it, he plots and attempts to kill David. He banishes David from his own court, sends him on his way, and David is in fear for his life. And for the next few years of David's life, He literally is running from cave to cave, hiding out from the persecution that is awaiting him from Saul. And it's in these places, uh, in these cave moments where he is literally under the earth and lonely and sad and life is not the way that it's supposed to be, that many of the Psalms that we have written from David where he is struggling, where he is literally asking God, why? Why does my life look like this right now? And why does it feel like this right now? And why am I so lonely right now? It happens during David's time of exile. David is intimately acquainted with loneliness. But David's not the only character in this story. There's another character who also is very familiar with loneliness, and that character is Mephibosheth. So while David was not born into royalty, Mephibosheth was. We're told earlier in the books that he is the grandchild of the king. So you could imagine literally being born into royalty as a young child, as a baby, he was likely spoiled. He likely had the treasures of the land, the greatest toys that you could have had. He had everything until one day when God took the kingdom away from his grandfather Saul. We're told that this was such an experience, that this was such an event, Uh, in fear for the child's life, his caretaker picks him up, I imagine this is late in the evening, and runs to flee to find safety, to find some place to go to exile, to be in hiding, and on the mad rush out, we're told his caretaker trips and falls and breaks both of the young man's legs. He becomes handicapped for the rest of his evening in exile, afraid that one day he will experience the wrath of the king, the wrath from David. Mephibosheth knows loneliness. Two characters in this story, David and Mephibosheth both, and I believe both of these characters, both of them who come from a royal lineage, are intimately acquainted with loneliness. This is part of their story. And I think at first glance, if I were to ask you the question, hey, what do you think you have in common with uh, David and Mephibosheth, these two biblical characters, I think you'd probably say, well, nothing. Uh, Look at his name. What a weirdo. (laughs) But in reality, uh, I think, again, just like them, we know what it is to experience loneliness. Each in our own way, we know what it's like hoping to have a table to sit at that first day of school, but nobody's making eye contact. Nobody's inviting you over. Nobody's saying, hey, you are welcome with me. And imagine, I don't know about you guys, but at least in my own heart, when I'm in a lonely place, that's the kind of time where I'm thinking some of the worst thoughts. When I'm really, really lonely, God, nobody must care for me. God, nobody must love me. God, nobody must care about me. We know that's what david was thinking because he wrote it down in the psalms i imagine mephibosheth had similar thoughts what do we learn about this when we look at the kings of old and we see that they too experienced loneliness and this idea of where can i belong as part of their own stories what can we learn from them story presbyterian church we are celebrating our one-year anniversary this evening we are celebrating God's faithfulness for remembering how He has worked in our lives and what He has brought us through and, and how good that He is. Our mission is to help people discover how Jesus redeems their story. Just as we are similar to Mephibosheth and David, just as we know loneliness, may we not forget our mission. May we remember that this city, May we remember where we work in the schools that we attend, that our neighbors, that our families, that the people we do life with day in and out are lonely. And they're asking, is there a place that I can belong? May we remember that we are not alone, and may we remember that we have people we do life with on a regular basis who believe that they are alone may we remember. It's main point one, the story of the king. He's intimately acquainted with loneliness. Main point two, though, we're going to look at the call of the king, the call of the king. What is the king ultimately called to do, and how do we see that here in 2 Samuel 9? The king is called to be kind. The king is called to be kind. Now, that's significant if we know a little bit of uh, how history has unfolded in the past. You see other ancient Near Eastern kings, and we could go as far east or as far west as we would like. But the typical strategy, the typical standard, was if a new dynasty came in, if they conquered and defeated the previous dynasty, One of the very first political moves that they would do is make sure they executed every single person in the former king's family. They would get rid of them so that there would never be a possible uh, rebellion and another possible attempt to usurp their own authority, just as they had taken the authority of somebody else. If you watch the popular TV show Game of Thrones, I basically just told you the plot of the entire show. This is exactly what would have been expected. But we see that the king that David is being called to be and the kingdom that he is called to establish, it's different than all of the other kingdoms around. Why? Every single king in the Old Testament would have known this. But their job ultimately, and they, most of them for the most part, failed really, really bad at this. But ultimately their job was to show the people who God was by how they lived, by how they brought justice, by how they were kind to God's people. And all David definitely had his own mistakes, and he screws up at different points in his life. This is one of those times where David is doing this well. He is embodying God's law, and he is being kind even to an enemy, a potential enemy of the king he's being kind even at risk to himself. Not only does David remember God's law and knows that he is called to be kind, but David, I believe, also remembers a time when someone else was kind to him. You see, the other part of that story is immediately when David is banned from Saul's court, when David is lonely and he's sent into exile, the very first person that comforts him the very first person that supports him and prepares him for what he's about to go through and experience is Saul's own child himself, Jonathan. Jonathan greets him, Jonathan reminds him of the truth that he needs to hear, and Jonathan ultimately supports his friend while he can. And we're even told, we're told that David remembered his covenant and his promise with Jonathan. Is there someone, is there anyone left at the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David remembers how Jonathan was kind to him, and that is the motivation that he needs to go and be kind to somebody like Mephibosheth himself. Again, you can imagine you can imagine the type of self-talk, you could imagine the type of beliefs at this point in his life that Mephibosheth likely has about God, and then here comes David, the representative of the king, and he turns that belief upside down. Uh, our friend Abby. Abby, if if you don't know her, the one who gave us our announcements and has prayed for us. Uh, Back in March, she released her very first book, God for Us. Uh, And before releasing this book, she has done a number of videos, and you can see this on YouTube. But as Abby is my friend, I've I've heard this about her. Uh, I've heard this from her mouth. But so much of the reason writing her first book, writing God for Us, is because of this idea that she had in her own life. She had a a bad view of God. When she reflected on who God was and how God viewed her, uh, she had this kind of idea that God was sitting there and, and he was waiting, was waiting for her to screw up, and she was waiting for the moment when God would more or less show up and call in the debt that was due. She didn't struggle believing God was creator or that God was lawgiver, but that God loved her and God wanted what was best for her, Well, that was something that was hard to believe. And then she studied the book of John for many, many hours. And in studying the book of John, specifically in studying the hero of the story, Jesus, who John himself tells us he is the likeness of God, the Father, she found out that the way the king relates to his people is far different than what she'd been telling herself for most of her life. Just as King David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, so has King Jesus shown kindness to us. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we're told almost that exact same thing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is this. Scripture makes it abundantly clear. Christ indeed is King. And we who owe him ultimate uh, allegiance and authority, we have committed high treason against this king. But rather than calling in the debt that is owed to him, he himself has paid that debt through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We can be right with the king. We can be welcome with the king. We can be showed kindness from the king. See, again, the one thing we're supposed to learn from 2 Samuel chapter 9 is this. You are welcome at the king's table, and hear that truth again. You are indeed welcome because the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus, is kind to you. And Because he has been kind to you, may that be the motivation that you are kind to the Mephibosheths out there. Again, this isn't something that God is waiting to punish you if you don't share the gospel with enough people. This isn't something that God is waiting for you to screw up or, or not contribute enough to His church or His mission. It's not that. God wants you to remember He has shown you kindness. He continues to show you kindness, and it's His kindness, it's His love that is to motivate us to be on mission. So just as the king has treated us with kindness, may we too be kind to those that we do life with. Finally, we look at the invitation of the king. What is the invitation of the king? It is ultimately this. It's repeated two different times, verse 7 and verse 13. Eat at my table. You see, David was incredibly kind to Mephibosheth in in saying, hey, I want to restore to you everything that was lost. When the dynasty was taken away, let me return to you the lands of your grandfather. Let me return to you the inheritance that was yours by birthright. Let me give all of those things back to you. That was incredibly kind to do that to, frankly, a political enemy. But he goes above and beyond mere kindness He gives him grace, or in the Old Testament, the word that is used, he shows him hesed, uh, uh, gracious and undeserving love. Not only does he restore everything to David that was lost, but he invites Mephibosheth, excuse me, not only does he restore to Mephibosheth everything was lost, but David invites him to have a seat at his table. And again, when we look at history, we see the significance of this, because what occurred at the table of the king, well, number one, it was symbolic. And if you sat at his table, it meant that you uh, were esteemed in his court. It meant that the king looked on you with favor, that the king loved you if you were welcome at his table. It was also the place uh, where the state of affairs would have been discussed. We have enemies from the outside, we discuss it at the table. Uh, we have problems on the inside, and we need to work to bring reform and point people back to God, we discuss it at the table. And this man, who had the potential to be a political threat, again, has not only forgiven and restored everything that was lost, but he has been invited to the table of the king. And so, too, the truer and greater King, the one that when God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel uh, 7, that saying that one day, one day, the truer and greater David, somebody from your line will come, and he will make all things right. Ultimately, that promise is referring to the Lord Jesus himself, and the Lord Jesus himself wants you to know that you are loved by God. Not only are you pardoned, Not only are you forgiven and made right with God as it was always intended to be, but because of Jesus, you are invited to the King's table. Because of Jesus, you have a place of honor. Because of Jesus, you can know the mind and the heart of the King and what He is working at doing even right here, right now in Westerville, Ohio. We should be able to relate, mostly, I believe, in the story to Mephibosheth. Because again, naturally, because of the treason that we've committed, we are enemies of God. But we've not only been restored, we too have been invited. May we, again, not because we are the king and not because we have the power to move and work in anybody's life, but because we simply have been loved— and we know how good and how welcoming and how belonging the Lord's table is, Story Presbyterian Church, as we look to our second year of ministry, as we reflect on God's kindness and faithfulness to us, may we be motivated, and may we be willing to invite people to the table, because it's at the table where the king dwells, and it's at the table we find everything that our heart truly longs for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a better king than we can ever hope or dream of. You are more loving. You are more kind than we can ever ask or believe. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have forgiven us, you have restored us, and you have given us a place at your table. God, Lord Jesus, would you help us? Would that be the motivation that causes us to want to go and love others? Would that be the motivation that causes us to step out of our comfort zones and invite others to come to know you? You are good, and you are worthy. And you are worthy because of what you have done for us. Thank you for doing that again. It's in Jesus' merciful and inviting name we pray. Amen. And we do struggle. Uh, We do struggle with following the Lord the way that He has called us to. We do struggle loving others the way that God has loved us. And as we are presently in exile, awaiting a day where the Lord Jesus Himself will come and set all things right, we limp towards Him and we go to Him